0: TurboTax experts make all your moves count, filing with 100% accuracy and getting your max refund guaranteed. So, whether you started a podcast, side-hustled your way to some extra income, flipped a house, or finally bought your first rental property, your moves made a big difference in your life last year. Now it's time to make the most of your moves. Switch to TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. I'm proud to offer premium wireless for just $15 a month. And I'm proud that we have thousands of five-star reviews from customers like Dan D. in New York, who writes, I am satisfied customer. How can this only be 15 bucks? He wrote it in all caps. I needed you to feel it like he feels it. I hope I did that justice, Dan. And I hope that you try Mint too at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: Upfront payment of $45 for three months required. New subscribers only. Renew for 12 months to lock in savings. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com. Ryan
0: Reynolds here from Mint Mobile, with a message for everyone paying big wireless way too much. Please, for the love of everything good in this world, stop. With Mint, you can get premium wireless for just $15 a month. Of course, if you enjoy overpaying, no judgments, but that's weird. Okay, one judgment. Anyway, give it a try at mintmobile.com slash
1: switch. Upfront payment of $45 for three months required. New subscribers only. Renew for 12 months to lock in savings. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com.
2: Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number
0: 27. What is social media doing for your business? And that can be different for everybody. Like, for example, for me, generating a million followers in 30 days, there was not a direct attribution to revenue right away, it's a longer term play.
1: Welcome to a
2: real world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. Hey there, everybody. I am Jay Scott. I'm your co host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. Here with you this week with my wonderful co host, Mrs. Carol Scott. How are you doing today, Carol Scott?
1: doing so great, but I've got to tell you, I'm going to be honest, I'm kind of losing my mind trying to tackle all this social media right? So I tell everybody that somehow I am highly effective within my disorganization in my inability to adapt to all things fresh and modern, which includes social media. I'm kind of sort of figuring out how to use Facebook a little bit, kind of sort of learning how to use Instagram, but now I'm learning that with, with, you know with everything the way it is to be successful i have to learn how to use twitter and linkedin and all these other things and I don't even know where to begin. It's crazy talk. Well, hopefully after
2: today's episode, you will have a much better idea how to use social media. We have an awesome guest today. We have the author of this book. If you're watching on video, if you're not, it's called One Million Followers, How I Built a Massive Social Following in 30 Days. His name is Brendan Kane, and he actually did that. He runs a social media company, a social media marketing or internet marketing company, but he actually spent... 30 days, building a following from scratch for a brand that didn't exist. And he built up over a million followers in that 30 days. And he's going to teach us how to do that as well. He has some amazing actionable tips. And honestly, this was just, this entire episode is just tip to tip to tip to tip to tip. Very little fluff. This was an awesome episode. I loved it. If you want to find out more about Brendan, his book and the stuff we talk about on the show, Check out our show notes at BiggerPockets.com slash bizshow twenty seven. Again, BiggerPockets.com slash bizshow twenty seven. Now, without any further ado, let's bring in our guest, Mr. Brendan Kane. So let's welcome Brendan Kane to the show. How are you doing today,
0: Brendan? I'm doing well, thanks. Appreciate you having me.
1: Awesome. I'm Carol and I'm so great to talk with you today. I think we're going to have an awesome episode here. We absolutely love your book and let's just jump right in. I would love for you to give us a quick background just on you and how you became an expert on social media branding and marketing.
0: Well, I initially started off in the film industry uh, because I wanted to learn the business side of film, specifically producing. And when I got to film school, I quickly realized they don't teach you anything about business there. So I figured the best way to learn about businesses, start your own, and the most cost-efficient way at the time, and it still holds true today, is to create online companies. So I started a few internet companies while I was going to, to college, really, just to learn and experiment. And then when I moved to LA to pursue a career in film, it's when the entertainment industry started to reawaken to digital after the dot-com bust. And I just saw that there's an opportunity to leverage that knowledge in creating those internet companies to... Forge connections, get projects, and you know, get my foot in the door. And got in, and you know, started helping on films ranging from fifteen hundred million dollar budgets. And it also afforded me to work directly with actors and directors. And just getting into that process, I saw that the the studio system in the corporate world just wasn't as creatively fulfilling for me. And that's where I decided to further. My path on the, in the online and digital space, and this is all the way back in, I started in like 2003, 2004, and just, just kept going on that path and, and left working in the, the studio system and started building technology platforms on top of social media and just kept testing and iterating and learning. And, and that's kind of how I started on this journey.
2: So you wrote a book, and for those watching us, I'm holding it up here on video, uh, called One Million Followers, How I Built a Massive Social Following in 30 Days. So can you walk us through, uh, basically tell us what this book was, tr- obviously the book was, was trying to accomplish. It was reflective of something you did. Can you walk us through uh, basically your, your challenge to yourself of building a social following of a million followers in 30 days, how you accomplished that in general terms, and then we can jump into some more specifics.
0: Well, it didn't start where I just woke up one morning and said I was going to do this. I had spent about three and a half years kind of building these methodologies and processes that I, that I detail in the book to be able to do it. But it really all started when I was working with some professional surfers and their earning potential, and it happens a lot in action sports, is really predicated based upon brand sponsorships. And brand sponsorships really look... At the time, and it's even more important today, is what is that number next to your name on social media? And I was just seeing that there were certain athletes that weren't even good enough to compete on tour that were making 10X athletes that were like number one in the world because they just had a larger social following. So I wanted to figure out, well, can I help these athletes that have really put in the, the hard work, the time and dedication to perfect their craft and just don't have a large social uh, following to grow something quickly so that they could get more sponsorship dollars and, you know, essentially uh, grow their earning potential. Uh, so I started doing it with them and was having success and then extended it to working with uh, some brands and corporations and some other celebrities and journalists. And then it just came to a point where it was, okay, this is great. You know, over the past fifteen years, I've worked with huge movie studios, big musicians and athletes, but what about people starting from scratch, starting from zero and I wanted to see what was possible, what I could actually demonstrate was possible to people, uh, because I think some people just see like a Taylor Swift or an MTV or a professional athlete and say, oh, well, they're, they're huge because they are those people and they don't realize that they start from scratch like everybody else. So I really wanted to set a case study of somebody that wasn't on film or television or music. Rockstar and and show what was actually possible and break down a, a specific methodology that people could use for their own personal brands if they are starting from zero. That's great. So, well, let me ask you this.
2: So, not everybody has the same goals when it comes to building a brand or marketing. So, some people just, they they are happy to just pump their brand and figure out a way to monetize that. But other people want to do specific things like they want to convert customer leads. Uh, some people want to gain national reach while others kind of want to focus on gain, gaining customers hyper-locally. Do the strategies that you and your business and your book talk about, do they focus on one particular type of lead generation or, or brand building, or do they kind of help anybody regardless of, of what, they're, what, they're, what they're trying
0: to accomplish? The underlying principles will apply to anything. We use the, the, the same methodology that we do for follower growth, for lead generation, for traffic acquisition, conversion-based marketing. Obviously, there are certain things in the book that talk specifically around followers because that's kind of the hook that's bringing people in. But the the information in there and the systems that that I break down that I used uh, for generating a million followers, but also the information that I gained from my top partners and the top growth strategists in the world that I interviewed for the book can apply for anything. Can apply for any type of specific goal and and a, uh, specific goal and objective that they're trying to achieve.
1: Awesome. So before we get into some more actionable tips, just kind of on an overall macro level, Brendan, what are the platforms that we as new entrepreneurs and all of our audience members who are either new entrepreneurs or they have an established brand but want to grow it even bigger, what are the platforms that we should be focusing on? Like, is it Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? What is it right now that are the the most, the most impactful platforms we should be focusing on? Or is it dependent on a case-by-case basis? Or where do we start?
0: Well, the first place that I like to start is what platform excites you? What platform do you use every day? Because that's really critically important because this is something that you're gonna have to live and breathe every day to get good at it. Uh, you know, just the sheer fact of, You know, consuming content on it, like the platforms when I was, you know, obviously I spent like three and a half years perfecting the system for Facebook. And then when I moved to Instagram, like I was consuming and still am consuming content on the platform every day and learning it. Now we're uh, getting into LinkedIn and to YouTube and we really dive in very deep with it. So really the first question to ask yourself is what platform am I truly passionate about? What platform can I actually see myself getting into every day? I think that that's the important question And then from there, obviously, there are specific differences of each platform. So like a LinkedIn has a very hyper-targeted business focus where the numbers aren't going to be as big, but they're going to be specific to the people that you want to connect with and and do business with. Uh, YouTube, long-form consumption behavior where you can get people to watch content for a longer period of time versus Facebook and Instagram is shorter-form consumption behavior. Facebook a great platform for driving traffic out to third-party sites, a great platform to really go viral if you hit content properly. Instagram, you have a very high engagement rate. Uh, that There's a brand perception around Instagram that's a little bit higher than other platforms. Uh, so there are pros and cons to each platform and kind of how you can look at them. But again, I think that the most important question is, which one am I going to be excited about? Because if you're not excited about it, you're ultimately going to struggle to have success with the platform.
1: Cool. Because you have to, like you said, you have to be hyper engaged in it to really, you know, to really grow what you're doing. So tell us once we identify what that platform is that we're excited about, that we want to be focusing on, how much money should we anticipate spending? I mean, do we have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to do what you did to reach those, like you reach that, that million followers in 30 days. Did you spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to make that happen or what's realistic?
0: No, I didn't spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it, but I will say that the number is going to be different for everybody. Everybody is always asking me, well, how much did I spend on social media? And that comes back to, well, what's your return on investment? What is social media doing for your business? And that can be different for everybody. Like, for example, for me, generating a million followers in 30 days, there was not a direct attribution to revenue right away. It's a longer term play and led to closing a literary agent in a publishing deal and then getting paid speaking gigs. Than getting publicity on podcasts and television. And that that then took the the, the return on investment and multiplied it by 100 X of what I put in. But that was a model that I had designed for myself. If it's lead generation or conversion-based marketing, the numbers become a lot easier and more tangible. It's like, okay, if I put X in, I'm going to get Y in return. And is that profitable and how much it doesn't does scale? I mean, oftentimes when I'm working with clients, Uh, And a lot of the models that I'm focused on right now, I don't like the conversation of what is our budget and how much are we spending? I like to get into a conversation of how much can we spend because that's where real growth happens. That's where billion dollar companies are built in years instead of decades is because there is a financial model that's built in that's all about scalability. That's all about how can we push the boundaries within our financial model that makes sense. Uh, Again, there's different financial models. Mine wasn't a direct attribution in the beginning. Now it is becoming a direct attribution, and that's what allows me to scale. So I know that's a little bit of a roundabout answer, but it is so dependent on people uh, knowing their numbers. Like I just spoke to, I was uh, speaking at a conference in Vegas in front of 7,000 dentists, and one of the, the things that I said is know your numbers. And so many people just don't even know their numbers. They don't know what they can acquire, pay to acquire a customer. They don't know how, okay, if I generate 100,000 followers or 500,000 followers or a million followers, what is that return on investment going to look at? And it's so important to map that out that will allow you to determine how much money you can spend.
2: And I assume that there's probably, like in any industry, there's this time and money trade-off. If you're willing to spend more time, if you're willing to choose the platforms that are less Costly. Presumably, you can accomplish the same results with less money, but you have to be willing to put in more time, more effort, more work, as opposed to other platforms where you just throw money at it and presumably accomplish more with with less time.
0: Yeah, there's always trade offs, and it, and you got and it's also it's not just the time equation; it's the talent. Like what what is you what what is the resource that you have that you can do extremely well. Are you really a good content creator? Can you create amazing videos? Can you create amazing articles? Are you a great photographer? Whatever that may be, you've got to play to your strengths and understand that of and understand the consumption behavior and the content formats that are working on each platform. Got it. So I
2: want to jump into some of the actual actionable tips you give in the book. And and the book is fantastic. I, I read this last week and I'm already starting to implement a lot of these things in my business. And so I want to touch on some of those because it's just so powerful. One that you talk a lot about is hypothesizing and testing. Basically, you don't throw a single ad out there and let it perform. you do something completely different. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by hypothesizing and testing? Just talk a little bit more about that and what we should be doing as opposed to what most of us are doing today.
0: So the core process that I developed at a very high level includes three steps. It's hypothesis, test, and pivot. So hypothesis, you start with, what is the content format, theme, or story that we think is going to drive the result that we're looking for. And again, this can be used for followers, lead generation, traffic, whatever you're going after. And most people will start by saying, well, I don't know where to start. Should I be creating a video? Should I be creating an image? And we do a lot of competitive analysis and teach people how to do competitive analysis of look at who is reaching your audience in the marketplace today and using that as a benchmark to set your own hypothesis of what you should be starting with and creating. And then what we want to quickly do is get to the test phase and create a low cost proof of concept of that hypothesis. And when I mean low cost, I mean low cost. I don't want spending people spending weeks or thousands of dollars on a piece of content in the beginning because we don't know what is going to work. So that can include just using your iPhone. It can include taking stock videos or stock images and creating a piece of content that you can actually test and put out in the marketplace and see what the response is so that you can get to the third step of analyzing the results. Did we generate the intended response that we were looking for, whether that's generating a follower, generating a lead, a sale, a click-through? And if we don't, we start that process all over again. We set a new hypothesis, we test, and we pivot. We keep going over and over and over again until we find out what works. Now, you may look at that and be like, oh, that's very simplistic. It's just three steps that can't really help me or my business. But the thing is, like, I'm not the smartest person in the room, but I test more than anybody. I will out test anybody. And that's what makes me successful. And that also makes other people successful. And and this is in any aspect of life or or business is the people that are not um, fearful of failure or see something that doesn't work and then just be like, oh, I'm giving up. But just keep testing and learning and testing and learning. And the beauty of the social media platforms and platforms we have today is you can test so quickly and get data back so quickly that your learning curve will be, you know, the, the amount of, of data or information that you can pull in to improve your ability of a, a social content creator or a social, you know, built using social media to build your business is so rapidly quick. It just, and that's why I focus so much on those three steps. Uh, because if if that's the one thing that I want people to leave away with today is that it's just hypothesis test and pivot and just keep doing it over and over and over again until you find the results. And if you embrace that, you will be successful ultimately. That is
2: absolute gold. I mean, I, I, just to, to repeat what you said, and you said it beautifully, but it needs to be said again, you don't have to be the smartest person out there because you don't have to get it right the first time. You're not going to get it right the first time. And if you do it 10 times or 20 times or a hundred times or a thousand times or 10,000 times, you're eventually going to get it right if you analyze the results and, and you realize what's working, what's not working. So I, I want to make this even a little bit more concrete. I read that you once tested a campaign uh, with seventy five thousand different tests so mm-hmm. in in terms of seventy five thousand different tests, I think I did the math, and that's like if you did one a minute that's like full time for for sixty days or something. Um, when you say you you did that many tests, what are you changing? Are you changing the underlying content? are you changing the colors of the or the fonts or
0: um like what
2: what degree of changes are we talking about when when it comes to testing?
0: When I talk about testing, I call it a variation. So when I tested 75,000 variations, it sounds like a huge daunting task, but the system that I devised allows you to do it in a simplistic manner. And when I say 75,000 variations, I'm not talking about 75,000 different pieces of content. So when I talk about a a variation, there's five elements to a variation. So the first element is the creative itself. So it's the video or the image or the article, or whatever you're pushing out, and we will often test multiple versions of that. But you could go with just one piece of creative, and it still be successful. Uh, the second part is the headline description. You know, in Facebook, it's above; uh, Instagram, it's below. The third is the demographics: are you targeting males or females? What is their age? And then the 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 fourth is the interest level and the uh, more psychographic information about them. What brands do they follow? What products or services do they buy? What type of entertainment do they consume? And then the fifth is the geolocation. So each one of these are interchangeable. So you could take one piece of content and swap out the headline. You could swap out. So by swapping out the headline, that's another variation. You could swap out a demo. That's another variation. You could swap out the interest. That's another variation. So you can literally take one uh, piece of content and test it hundred, 150 ways. And the reason that we do that, you may ask, why you t- Why do you test so many different variations of a piece of content? It's two reasons. It gives us uh, more chances to win and more chances to learn. So that's the reason that we go at such a scale is we're we're rapidly iterating in this testing environment to see how we can push our key KPIs and our goals to the maximum level. But we're also using all this testing and data that's coming in to actually figure out what's working, what's not working, to guide our next set of tests, the next set of tests. The biggest takeaways you have to be learning. If you're not, if you're not learning from your test, then there's no point in running the tests.
2: That makes sense. So that gets us to the results. So being able to one, you hypothesize; two, you test. But it sounds like just as importantly as being able to analyze those results that you get. So when it comes to analyzing results, what are we looking for? How do we know if results are within a margin of error or outside of a margin of error? If I do two Facebook tests and one gets... Ten thousand views. If they both get ten thousand views, one gets a uh, thousand clicks, and the other gets twelve hundred clicks. Is that a meaningful difference? How do we know if one really worked? What What do you look for when you're looking at your your results? I guess is a general way of asking that.
0: Well, first you have to set a baseline for yourself. So the first set of tests that you ever launch are going to be your baseline. And that baseline may be horrible, but it's a baseline that now you have something is the next set set of tests. I'm going to figure out how I beat that last set of results. So let's just talk about lead generation. Let's just say your first set of tests comes in at $10 cost per lead. And that may be within the confines of your model. It may not. But the whole goal is, okay. now how do I go from 10 to 9 and from 9 to 8 and just keep pushing it down? Like I'm in the midst of a lead generation campaign right now. And that's exactly what I'm doing is I am just I'm testing and pushing down the cost per lead as low as possible. And the cost per lead was starting at like seven or eight dollars. And now we have variations running at like 80 to 90 cents. But that's because I'm just constantly testing different variables to see what it takes to push the performance to its limit.
2: And what changes, and I I assume maybe you're talking about Facebook here, what's the ultimate driver of how much you're paying per per engagement or per lead or per click, whatever the the metric is?
0: Well, it's all based on an auction system. So all these platforms have an auction that you're competing against other people that are going after that same audience. And your cost is dictated by a few things. First off, are you a quality advertiser? Have you been known to put high quality content or poor performing content through the platform? And this is why we're very strict about turning stuff off if it's not reaching or not hitting performance that we're looking for, or it's not engaging the audience, because essentially what the auction will do is it'll tell you, okay, you can keep serving this to your to, to the audience that you want, but you're going to have a, a very inflated cost in the auction. So by focusing on, on performance and turning off stuff right away, that's not working uh, you essentially get labeled as a good advertiser, somebody pushing quality content, which can drive down your costs in the auction. We've had a lot of success doing that. And then it's really what the offer is. What An offer doesn't necessarily need to be a, a product or service. It could just be a piece of content and the offer is to entertain somebody or to engage somebody. How strong is that? Like, How is that engaging people? How is it you know, stopping people in the feeds to watch or to read or to uh, click for more information, which again, plays into the the back end of what we just talked about of quality. The more people that are engaging with your content, the more people that are stopping and consuming it, watching it, liking it, sharing it, uh, that just signals to the algorithms and the auction that this is a quality piece of content. So we'll push it to more people at a lower cost. And also just the more engaging your content is, the more people you can get to opt into it. Uh, to to perform the specific action that you're looking
2: for, uh, that's brilliant. That's cool. I, I would not have expected that. Uh, the the better and more engaging your content, the more successful your content, the more the 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 platform was willing to to subsidize or drop the uh, the cost down. In fact, you'd think it was the opposite if they see something that's working really well for you.
0: Yeah, I mean, you just think about how their whole business is structured. Their holy grail is their feeds. If they have high quality content going through their feeds, then people are going to stay on the platform longer. If they have poorly performing content or unengaging content, people are going to close the app and not come back. And so that's why they reward it is they would rather take money for content that's actually providing value to the community and driving results than to dilute their ecosystem with poorly performing content or things that are not providing value.
1: That's really cool. That's just such a good insight that I think is really valuable for our listeners. So in addition to breaking this down really granularly, I really appreciate that you're willing to dive into the way that it works on the other end on the platform, because that's something I think that's not necessarily common knowledge to a lot of entrepreneurs just starting out. And talking about content, what is it like right now? What does make for good content? I mean, obviously back in the day, right, there were people were sharing recipes and cat videos and all those trite common types of things. What what makes good content now? Does it is it dependent on what you're trying to achieve? Or what are just some of the common traits of content that is sticky, content that is engaging and gets people to click through?
0: Well, there's so many different variables that go into answering that question. I think that one of the big differentiators that that I talk about with my team... And let me just say this. One of the biggest mistakes that people see with making content is that they are just thinking about themselves when they're producing that content of what they want to say uh, versus the way that we look at it is, A, we design content for the algorithms first. Because without the algorithms, you're not going to get reach. And without reach, you're not going to engage an audience. And then once we've designed for the algorithms, then we think about the audience second. So I think that that's a big difference in terms of how people design content. And with that, like you've got to understand the way that the algorithms are operating, what are the metrics that they're paying attention to? So for example, with like video, they're looking at on Facebook and Instagram they're looking at the number of views compared to the reach that they give you because views typically are not counted until 3 seconds happen. So it'll measure how many people are actually stopping in their feed for the first 3 seconds uh, versus people just swiping up and past. So if you have a video and people are swiping past and not even paying attention to the first three seconds, you're not going to get reach in the algorithms and it's ultimately going to fail. So that's why you see a lot of people using meme cards with the burned in text at the top or captions at the bottom, because like 70% of sound on video for Facebook and Instagram is watched with the sound off. Now, that doesn't mean that just because you put meme cards or captions on there that your contents can reform better because everybody's doing it now. So you need to be smarter with it. So we pay attention to with what are the algorithms looking for. And the the biggest thing that we know is retention. They're looking for people to engage with content for a longer period of time. But in order to get retention, you have to capture people in that first three seconds. Uh, Because if you don't get the first three seconds, then you can't earn the right for the additional five or 10 or 15 or 30 seconds, which is really important when you're talking about uh, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. They all kind of operate under some similar principle. Now, when you're talking about YouTube, one of the biggest factors with YouTube is headline and thumbnail, which kind of serves as like that three second because you're getting served uh, suggested videos and the algorithms are paying attention to how many people are clicking on your headline and thumbnail when it's seated to them to watch more content. And then on top of that, it measures watch time as well. So at a very high level, You've got to have a compelling hook or a compelling way to bring people in to pay attention to your content amongst all the other clutter. And then from there, how do you keep them engaged and retain that audience for as long as possible? That's where you're really going to win at the end of the day. So that that makes total sense. Presumably a very
2: big percentage of or a very large uh, portion of what's going to retain um, eyeballs. What's going to grab attention is the headline, and you mentioned that of of the content, there are five major pieces. Headline was 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 one of those. How do you write a great headline? What am I looking for when I or what I'm thinking about when I'm writing a headline for my content?
0: It's a great question. So there's, I mean, it's the second book I'm working on right now is all around this concept of hook points, uh, because I think it's the most valuable portion of the world that we live in. The fact of the matter is there's 60 billion messages sent on digital platforms each day. We live in a micro-attention world. And you have to find a way to stand out and differentiate yourself from everybody else. And one of the exercises that I give people is if you were given the cover of a magazine, a prominent magazine in your specific niche, and the editor's calling you and saying, okay, you've been given this cover. You're going to be the only person on this cover. What is the headline that you want to put on this on this magazine. And it has to be less than a sentence, the fewer the words, the, uh, the better. And when imagining, when thinking about what that headline is, imagine your core audience or customer walking down a busy street and passing a magazine stand, and there's 50 other magazines on that stand. What is that headline that's literally going to make somebody stop, pick up that magazine and amongst all the others, buy it and read it? Because that's how difficult it is in the world that we live in today. Uh, And when in doing it, I don't say just come up with one, come up with 10, 15, 20, 30, as much as many as you can. And I would set a goal that seems impossible, like set a goal for 50 or 100, because that's oftentimes where you can push yourself beyond your boundaries and come up with more creative ideas. Another another concept that a friend of mine who's one of the top copywriters in the world that did when he first started out copywriting is he would take headlines or successful headlines or hook points from other people, and then just plug in his words or his products or services, because then it can kind of train your brain to think in terms of some of the most successful people in this space. So that's kind of the way that I look at it. But again, it's all about testing and iterating off of that once you come up with those those initial ideas.
1: That's awesome. Those are really great tips, like things I personally never would have thought of. So I really, yeah, that's really really good stuff. So once you've you've kind of really you you've just you've developed all this content, all the different iterations of it, of course we have to serve it up to the right audience. So can you talk to us a little bit more about digitally, online, how we go about finding that right audience? I mean, I think Facebook offers a good platform for doing that, but do you have any specific tips on once we identify who our demographic is, how we can how we can target those people online through these different platforms how do we how do we actually go ahead and make that happen so our content is served up to the right people?
0: so there's a few different ways that you can go about it It's yes, the advertising platforms are a great tool from their ability to hyper target audiences. You know other tactics we use is we'll identify like on Facebook we'll identify certain pages that have large audiences that we're trying to reach and get them to share our content into their audience. Uh, same thing with Instagram we'll identify accounts that has the audience that we want to have them come over and convert to followers of our account. So we'll use it that way. Another approach that, that I kind of talk about is is leveraging social audiences, social followers for larger offline opportunities, uh, because where people talk about and the thousand true fan models been talked about a lot, and it's a great model where they talk about incremental growth of identity, identifying fans and growing one by one to hit that thousand true fans. I come from the entertainment world where you can't go into a meeting and talk about 1,000 people or 10,000 or even 100,000 people. You have to go as big as possible. And that's kind of where the, the mindset came from generating a million followers in 30 days is how do I generate a massive audience in a short period of time, but then leverage that audience for other opportunities of getting on podcasts, getting on stages, getting on television. That And that's where a lot of brand building can come from and where the real true thousand uh, fans come from or from the real leads or the, the real customers come from. So that's another kind of backwards approach uh, that I use it for social media and social media followings to leverage it for a much larger uh, potential of hitting your core target.
2: OK, and so that. Kind of brings up a question um, in terms of what about for those businesses that are trying to target hyper local? Let's say I run a taco truck in on Main Street in Omaha, Nebraska. Should I be trying to build a national following to build a brand so that maybe my my local customers see, hey, this must be really great because all these people across the country love him? Or should I be trying to target? Literally a couple square miles in in Omaha, Nebraska, and just trying to build a couple super fans there. what are there any
0: strategies for hyper local driving leads, and sales, and revenue? That, I mean, that's the only metric that matters. You know, I was talking to the dentist, and that's exactly what I talk about. Is and the testing principles still apply? Is you're going after that specific geolocation and seeing what moves the needle and what works in that geolocation. And once you have revenue, once you have profit and that business is growing, then you can determine, okay, do I want to go to a national level? I don't think it really makes sense to go after followers in a local market because you're just going to get killed in the algorithms for reach because that content's really not going to be that engaging where you're going to get maximum reach off of it. I would focus solely on lead generation, traffic acquisition, and then taking that and building that communication line off of social through email, through text, through chatbots, things of that nature. Uh, But So your question, again, it's like if you're in a business that's all about generating customers or generating leads and you need to do that right now, just focus on advertising campaigns that, that specifically targets your core audience to generate that specific action that you're looking for. I don't want you to generate a follower and then try and convert that follower into a customer. I'd rather you just go after that customer.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. You also mentioned in your book, Brendan, um, targeting your competitors' fans, which we thought was just such an awesome tip. So could you maybe talk a little bit more about that in growing your audience?
0: Yeah, I mean, it only works if you're going after competitors that have a large enough audience. uh, And sometimes they won't allow you, the the advertising platforms won't allow it for whatever reason. But I think it's a great tactic and tool and you can just go into the advertising platforms and type in those keywords or those, those pages and see if you can... Uh, target and conquest against their audiences. Also, uh, another big tool that I always recommend, and I was talking about competitive analysis earlier, is go and see what advertising they're running. Go. Facebook has an ad library now that's open to the public that you can go and type in any page and see if they're running advertising and if they are, what advertisements they are running. And that can give you a lot of information about what your competitors are doing and how you can do what they do better than them. Uh, so I'm always about how do you get your eyes in front of competitors' audiences and understanding what your competitors are doing and then reverse engineering it to the point where you can do it better than them. Okay, so one more question about content. And
2: I know everybody is looking to kind of create um, virality, viral content. And as a business owner, let's say we're trying to trying to drive customers and you mentioned earlier that if you're going after leads, if you're going after customers, go after customers. But should we be trying to drive customers by creating viral content necessarily or do we want to just connect with them emotionally? If I I guess what I'm asking is, if I have the option of creating content that's going to connect with my customers and potentially connect with 10 million more other people so that it gets shared around and potentially hits more customers? Or should I kind of be focusing my content on my core demographic, even if it means it's never going to go viral? What are the the trade-offs there? I don't know if I asked that question in
0: well, a way that makes sense. it depends on but. what you're, if you're in a geo, if you're after a specific geolocation, then I don't think it makes a lot of sense to focus on viral content. Yes, I think that you want to get content that people share because if people are sharing it, you're you're striking a chord with them to the point that they want to share your message, your product or service with somebody else. Uh, If you are looking at it at a national level and looking to build a national brand, then the way that we look at it is we design our content for a more generalist audience to hit as many people as possible. And then within that, so let's just say we hit 10 million people with a, a video, within that 10 million, we'll have our subset of a million people, which is our core target. And the reason that we do that, again, is we're playing to the algorithm, we're playing to the audience. So like if we're designing a piece of content on a national level, and right off the bat, we say that this video is for women, now you're cutting off 50% of your audience with men. And then if you're saying, okay, this is for women who are moms, then, then you're cutting it Even further. And then, if it's moms that have kids that are playing soccer, it just keeps going down and down and down in terms of cutting your potential reach of who you can hit with that that specific uh, piece of content. Uh, Again, if you are running like a lead gen campaign or if you're running a direct response campaign, then yes, you want to be hyper targeted with that content but we still look at this concept of how do we go as wide as possible with the message in the beginning in that first 3 to 10 seconds to attract everybody and then once we have them into the message then we can we can slowly move them down the storyline that speaks specific to the audience that we want to reach
2: you're basically creating a funnel yes. in your content that that makes a whole lot of sense okay so in terms of the type of content, and we touched on this a little bit, but I know you mentioned a couple things in your book and, and some other places that I read. So I, I just want to kind of get a little bit more concrete. You mentioned, uh, you mentioned um, there are lots of different types of content, but I know in your book you mentioned that quotes, like pictures with quotes on them are great. You've mentioned video is great. What are your favorite um, most sticky pieces of, of content these days?
0: Well video is always gonna be the most powerful and have the most impact, but it's the harder to produce because there's just so many variables that go into play to making a successful video. you have the first three seconds you have captions title cards then the next ten seconds retention all these things versus an image or a quote in a split second you either like it or you don't. There's not all those different variables that go in Does it have the as creative an impact as a video no uh, so it's really trading off. I always recommend people that get good at video, uh, but it takes longer to master versus putting up a quote or an image. It's typically easier to pull that off and, and generate uh, specific engagement or reach out of.
1: Very cool. Okay. So before we go into the last portion of our show, I would just like to know, are there any other great tips, Brendan, that, that we've missed throughout this conversation? Just, you know, any one or two little just gold nuggets about growing your online brand that you might be able to share with our listeners? I would say
0: that one of the things I always start with people when I'm doing strategy days with them is why, like, what is the why behind it? What is, what is their reasoning for wanting to grow a social media? What is that going to really do for them personally, for their lifestyle, for their business? And being very clear about that, because this is hard work and there is a lot of trial and error in it. And and without a clear foundation and without a strong mindset of why you're doing what you're doing, ultimately that will cause you to, to give up or to want to quit. I mean, because it's still for doing this for 15 years, we run into obstacles and roadblocks all the time. And I have to keep reminding myself of why I'm doing it and what the end goal is to keep, to keep going and plugging through and pushing through the obstacles that come up. Excellent. Awesome. Okay. So with
2: that, let's jump into the last segment of our show, what we call the four more, where we're going to ask you the same four questions that we ask all of our guests. And then at the end, we're going to jump into the more, which is more about where we can find you, where we can find more about your book and your company. So can we jump into the
0: four questions? Yeah, sounds good. Okay. So I'll take the first one. What's the worst job you've ever had? Is it any job that I'm sitting in an office or a desk? I just, I tell people I'm allergic (laughs) to offices. I won't like anything that I'm. Sitting behind a desk is the worst. I mean, I did like early on dishwashing jobs when I was 15 or 16, which was horrible. But anything where I am chained to a desk in an office just doesn't work for me.
1: It's just painful. And that totally leads me to my second question, which is what was that defining moment, Brendan, when you realized that you had an entrepreneurial itch and you just needed to do your own thing?
0: I mean, I if I think back on it, I mean, at early as ages five or six, I was going around taking toys and knocking on neighbors' doors and trying to sell my toys to their parents. But I, I don't know that I fully recognized it until, you know, three or four years into my career of working for a studio that it just wasn't fulfilling to work in an office and deal with the politics and asking for permission to do things more times than actually getting to do things.
2: Awesome. Okay. Question number three, what's the worst piece of advice? I'm sure there are a lot of, them. what's the worst piece of advice you typically hear in your industry?
0: Well, the one thing that I think annoys me is that they, like social media managers or agencies or consultants will claim that there's only one way of doing things. And they'll say, because this is my area of expertise, you know, this is what I advise you to do because I know this is the only way to reach the goal and objective that you have. Whenever I'm sharing information, it's, this is what I, I, has worked for me. If it works for you, awesome. If you want to find another approach, that's cool too. And it's why I broke down in, in the book different strategies as well, because I don't believe that there's just a one-size-fits-all strategy for everybody. You, gotta have, you have to find what works for you.
1: Cool. Okay, and the last of the four more is, what is something that you have splurged on, either personally or professionally, in your personal or professional life that was a big old splurge, but was entirely and totally worth it?
0: Well, I'm constantly splurging and spending money. I'm just optimizing my performance, you know, from a mindset perspective, Uh, whether that is uh, retreats, education, uh, certain doctors uh, across the board. Like I'm always willing to invest to get that extra edge to for me to be able to work at an optimal level because being an entrepreneur as you guys know it's it's very draining and i uh, you know you push yourself to certain boundaries so i'm always kind of looking for that extra edge awesome
2: okay so let's jump into the more part of the form more can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you where they can find out more about your awesome book 1 million followers how i built a massive social following in 30 days and where they can connect with you?
0: Sure. The book is on Amazon. It's on all major retail stores. We do have uh, an offer. If you go to freesocialbook.com where they can get a copy of the book for free, they just pay for shipping and handling. Uh, And we do have some additional bonus materials on that page that you obviously can't get through retail stores or through Amazon. So that's one way to check it out. There's more information about me at brendanjkane.com. And my name is spelled B-R-E-N-D-A-N-J and then kane, K-A-N-E.com. Awesome. Brendan, this was absolutely
2: awesome. We really appreciate you taking the time to share your tips and and tremendously great actionable tips with our listeners. And uh, I know you mentioned in there a second book coming, so we're looking forward to uh, seeing that. And hopefully we can get you back on when that releases. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hopefully it was uh, helpful to you guys. It was awesome. Thanks a lot,
1: Brendan. Have a great day.
2: Thanks so much, Brendan. Really great episode. Wow, that was really just packed full of actionable tips. I mean, he just, he, he started and didn't stop. Right?
1: I mean, I had, again... I know I'm on the low end of the spectrum here when it comes to being able to figure out social media, but now I truly feel like I kind of have a roadmap on how to get started and how to test things. Like that never, frankly, never really occurred to me that the way to be successful is to try all different variations of the same content. And that's one thing that I think is so valuable. I think social media can be so daunting because you feel like you constantly had to be creating new content. But I love especially how we broke down. You can use the same content, just change it, make varieties of it. It, see what sticks, see what's engaging. And that makes it a lot less daunting and makes me look a lot more forward to tackling it. It's really cool stuff.
2: Yeah. I started uh, uh, implementing some of the tactics in the book last week and just the idea of testing and hypothesizing and testing and hypothesizing and checking the results. It really makes things easy because you don't feel that obligation to get things right the first time. You just test a hundred different variations of your content and you see what works best. So yeah, it's just, that's brilliant. It's good
1: stuff. Okay. Are we done here? Totally done. Let's wrap it up, baby.
2: Okay. Everybody, you have a great week. She is Carol.
1: I am Jay. Now go test some awesome social media content today. Have a good day, everybody. See you, everybody.